Imagine living every day for two to three years in solitary confinement, having minimal contact with anyone, sitting alone in your cell all day long with only your Bible and a small skylight above you. That's exactly what it was like for early inmates at the Eastern State Penitentiary. Hi, true crime fans. You're tuning into Coffee, Murder, and Mystery, a true crime podcast where we discuss murder, mystery, and the supernatural. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Welcome back. I'm your host, Melissa Lancaster. And I'm Jeff. I wanted to take a second and share some of our accomplishments with you guys. Our show is now in the top 10% of all podcasts globally. We've been listened to in 83 different countries, and people have started joining our Patreon. It's so exciting to watch our podcast grow, and we couldn't do it without you. So a big thank you to everyone. And Melissa has actually investigated each country's listening statistics individually. The Eastern State Penitentiary opened in 1829 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It was designed by architect John Haviland, and John took his inspiration from prisons and asylums in England and Ireland. He thought the neo-Gothic look would instill fear in anyone considering a life of crime. And you should take a second and Google a picture of the Eastern State Penitentiary. It is so beautiful. In the older pictures, it's a very grand looking with its stone exterior and its large looming guard tower standing in the middle. In newer pictures, you can see what appears to be vines or moss covering the front of the vacant building. And it's a very eerie looking, very medieval. The penitentiary was built based on a Quaker-inspired theory that solitary confinement would achieve penitence. This was a new concept. A group had formed in the 1700s whose goal was prison reform. Prisons in the 1700s were basically one big holding area where all offenders, no matter their age, were placed together. After the American Revolution, people wanted change. And the group calling for the reform was the Philadelphia Society for Alleviating the Misery of Public Prisons. It's a unique name. I like it. Benjamin Franklin was a member of this group, which is still active today, but the name has changed to the Pennsylvania Prison Society. The plans for this prison were actually discussed at Ben Franklin's home. So I guess over in England, they didn't have any type of real prison structure that they could just borrow from. Just big giant fields of prisoners, is that like how I'm picturing it? Or big giant like rooms of prisoners? Yeah, like it I mean they, they pretty much said it was kind of like just animals in a in a cage or like a pen. It was just everybody was just thrown into one area. It's hard to think that that's so much worse than the tiny ass cells that we've seen with like two dudes in it and it's like four by six well i think that probably it led to like violence right and then there's children in there and women children murderers you know people that just rejected god and were put into prison you know just all levels of of different yeah they have like different security levels back then right 
So instead of throwing everyone of all ages and offenses into one area, it was concluded that a massive penitentiary would be built to allow prisoners to essentially think about what they had done. They had hopes that reflection would lead to change. When the prison was built, the plans included cell blocks that spread out from a central area, like spokes on a wheel. That's exactly what I was thinking, actually. I was thinking like a wagon wheel. Yeah, it does look like that. (laughs) It does. Each cell was small, and it was made for one person. They each had a skylight, running water, central heat, and a flush toilet. But the flush toilet was kind of kind of tricky because even the White House did not have innovations like this at the at the time. So I read that the guard would flush the toilets twice a week for like the entire cell block. Like I get the impression it was like one flusher of some sort like at <laughs> the end and they just did the whole cell block at once twice a week. That sounds horrible. I hope that the toilets had lids. I can't even I mean, imagine the, the smell. And like flies in the summer. Because they had a skylight too, so they were just coming right in. <laughs> the sky, were the skylights open? I don't. You know what? I don't know. I did kind of wonder that. Like as I was as I was researching this, I don't know specifically if they were open. I think that they were covered. I don't think that they were open. I mean, it's Pennsylvania. If they were open, so they would have climbed out. They would have found a way. And it's Pennsylvania. They have winter there. Right. It's like snow. Like horrible winter. <laughs> Each prisoner also had a private outdoor like exercise area it was just like a small outdoor room that they were able to access from their cell but it had a 10 foot wall around it preventing prisoners from interacting with each other it looked like a slightly larger cell with no ceiling right but giant walls the intention was that prisoners would spend their days reading the bible or laboring still alone they would make shoes or weave in their cell even the guards were required to wear socks over their shoes to quiet their steps so the prisoners wouldn't know when they were walking around. This level of solitude was known as the Pennsylvania system. No outside contact was allowed whatsoever. To minimize contact with the guards and also so they didn't learn the in and outs of the facility, a hood was put over a prisoner's head when they left their cell. The warden was required to visit each prisoner each day, and there were also people dubbed overseers. Wait, what? The warden had to see every person every day? That's what I read, that they were required to do that. Did they do that? I don't know, but it was like a requirement. There was like thousands of people. Well, in the first days, there was only about 250 people. They actually had people that were called overseers as well, who made three visits to each prisoner each day. The skylight in the roof of the cell wasn't just to provide light. It served a purpose related to a prisoner's penance as well. The prisoners were supposed to look to God through their skylight and feel remorse for their crimes. The first prisoner in the Eastern State Penitentiary was Charles William, and he was in for burglary. He had stolen a $21 watch, a $3 gold seal, and a gold key. I looked up the inflation rate on the $21 watch, and it would be worth $616 today. You know, the worst part about that is he can't even brag about being the first guy there because they can't even talk to each other. Right. He can't be like, I'm an OG. First one, number one, that's me, cellmate number one. 
No, we just got a hood on his head, looking at the sky. I kind of wondered, like, what the gold key went to. Like, was it just, like, a decoration? Or I, I couldn't find what significance the gold key had, if it was just gold or if it went to something super special. That could be a whole nother podcast. Even though the prison was housing inmates, construction was not yet complete. It actually would not be completed for seven more years. Wow. By the time they finished construction of cell block three, overcrowding was already an issue. The plans originally had cell blocks with one level of cells, but after cell block three, they started constructing the blocks with two floors. So it just hit me. If there's two floors, the guy in the bottom doesn't have a skylight done. They don't all end up having skylights. Man, that's that's the only bonus to the whole thing. Yeah, I think conditions, conditions just get worse. Overcrowding was such an issue that cell blocks 14 and 15 were needed so badly that they had the prisoners design and build them. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, put them to work, right? They must have been like very supervised or really honest criminals, though, because, you know, they didn't like throw in a secret escape hatch (laughs) anywhere. Like, I just feel like that's really, that's a really risky move. What's that tunnel for? Don't, 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 don't mind that. That's, that's uh, sewage. That's what that is. It's, it's just a normal tunnel. And it was really meant to be a peaceful system. Inmates sitting in their cells, looking through their skylights, with their Bibles in their laps, fantasizing on all the ways that they were going to become better, more productive members of society. But as things often don't, it didn't work out like that. Prisoners found ways to send each other notes. They refused to work, or they would turn their tools into knives. (laughs) That's my favorite pastime right there. It seems that in an attempt to regain control, guards would take prisoners outside in the winter, the cold Pennsylvania winter, and throw ice water on them. They would strap them to chairs with leather restraints and leave them there. And they would chain the prisoners' tongues to their wrists and if they struggled, their tongues would tear. I feel like this is what led to the uh, prisoners pushing the guards off of the cell blocks. Me and Jeff watched an episode of Ghost Adventures. And so at the beginning of the episode, it's still light outside. And you can see inside the penitentiary. And there's like these grates in the walkways. In between the walkways so that people don't fall down after they're pushed. Because the walkways like in front of the cells is very narrow. Any prison you go into, it seems like they really can serve on space wherever they can. So if you only need 18 inches for a walkway, that's all you're getting. <laughs> you know, you're not getting like these giant wide walkways. At least not back then, it seems like. Yeah, so the prisoners were sticking their hands through their cell doors and pushing the guards. Right, they were that close and the, the holes in the uh, metal grates were that big that they could just push them right over. So they started putting like netting or like steel bars across the opening so they wouldn't fall down. One prisoner... Matthias McComsey had the iron gag put on him. Mm. The iron gag went over a prisoner's tongue and was attached to his arms and pinned behind his back. He passed away from what appeared to be a brain hemorrhage or a stroke, and this caused a scandal. And even though the penitentiary administrators were exonerated, the prison now had a bad rap. The system just wasn't working, and it's now known that solitary confinement does not make people act better, 
According to prisonpolicy.org, researchers have made it clear that any positive benefits correctional institutions gain by using solitary confinement are outweighed by the severe and often permanent damage caused by permanent isolation. You know, one of the coolest things about the uh, Ghost Adventure show that we watched was they actually looked at the death records in the prison. Do you remember that? I do. So they actually kept detailed notes. So like, they put down the person's name, you know, their age, what they their job was, what they died of. And uh, I feel like a lot of people died here. I don't know exactly how many people died there, but I know that it was more than 50 suicides and at least a dozen murders. Humans are social creatures and isolation has been shown to shrink the area of the brain that plays a pivotal role in memory. Charles Dickens visited the prison in 1842. He made the argument in his American Notes that the reform's intentions were humane, but the system was torture. It was also argued that overstimulation in the form of masturbation was driving inmates insane. So much for reading the Bible and staring into the sky. Idle hands are the devil's workplace. The problems with overcrowding just got worse, and by the 1850s, they were starting to relax the rules of isolation. By 1960, most cells had two inmates. Other prisons through the world continued to adopt the hub-and-spoke design of the prison anyway. And in 1913, they did away with the Pennsylvania system of all solitary confinement. They tried to catch up with other prisons who had better recreation and socialization for their prisoners. And they made rec rooms and baseball fields, football fields. And I was super surprised to hear that they had bocce ball. I was thinking about how those balls could really hurt someone. And then I realized what a strange thought that was when a baseball bat could really hurt someone. I mean, it's like the same thing. Of all the weapons, you choose a bocce ball to bludgeon someone to death with. <laughs> Especially over a baseball bat. Must have been some, some rowdy Italians. And the inmates ate at a dining hall together for the first time in 1924. Yay. And in 1924, the governor's dog was sentenced to be in prison at the Eastern State Penitentiary. His name was Pep, and he was accused of brutally murdering the governor's wife's cat, her beloved cat. He had a mugshot and a prisoner number and everything. And some say that the dog was an actual prisoner, but many say that the governor put him there to improve prisoner morale. So <laughs> this must have been before they changed the laws about that but i don't think a, a dog or an animal can be charged with a crime in most states i think probably she was probably really angry and did not <laughs> want the dog in the house anymore right and he was like what am i gonna do with this dog i love I remember, my dog i remember a story of like some hunters they dressed up like this beagle like a hunter and they had like the vest on him and the cap and they put a gun around his around like his back like with a strap and the gun went off and shot one of the the hunters. Oh my god. And I think the guy interviewing like the state police officer was like, Has a dog been charged with <laughs> any wrongdoing? And the guy was like, No, we we don't we can't charge an animal with a crime in the state. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's where I was hmm. coming with that. Al Capone served eight months in the facility in nineteen twenty nine for tax evasion. And you can look up a picture of his prison cell. There is also a replica at the prison itself. 
It was not like the others. He had oriental rugs, a writing desk, you know, to take care of his affairs, a table, a few lamps, a chair, and what I think is a radio against the back wall, just like home. I think his cell was bigger, too. It almost had like a sweet look to it, like like it was two cells combined almost. It was definitely way nicer than the others. And the prisoners were not happy with the insufficient recreational facilities in the penitentiary. Overcrowding had become a huge issue, and they were bored. So in 1933, they rioted. They set fire to their cells and destroyed workshops. The prison was originally built to house just under 300 prisoners, and by 1920, it had 2,000 inmates. Some cells were even built below the ground, and they did not have windows, water, or plumbing like the others. One year later, there was another riot over insufficient wages. (laughs) Insufficient wages. I did read in another source that some of the riots may have started because the prisoners heard a commercial for angel food cake on a radio. And they just started howling and it just... Just set them off into a frenzy. Got out of hand from there. So I don't know whether it was under, you know, over insufficient funds or this commercial. possibly angel food cake. Well, you know, if it was about the funds or the lack of recreational facilities or whatever it was about, it just amazes me. And it's not, I'm not trying to say they don't have a beef and they weren't housed poorly and that it should have been different, okay? But even back then... People just still feel entitled <laughs> to, like, things that... Like, you're in prison. It's not supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be recreational. I'm sorry that you make four cents a, a month stamping license plates or making rocks into smaller rocks. I think it was you know? weaving and shoemaking. Either whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's either there, just stare at the wall. I mean, we got a choice. They literally short-circuited the electrical outlets and started fires. Oh, The warden was really bad. I mean, this is like at least the second riot in two years. I I read that there was one 1933 riot, and then I read that there was kind of like one a month in the last like couple months of the year. But he felt like he really needed to shut this rioting thing down. (laughs) Yeah, you can't have that. The riot lasted three hours. Uh, They set fires to outbuildings. They destroyed a barn. But I really couldn't find what he did to actually shut that riot down. I mean, it sounded like whatever he did, he was like making an example of it. It was something kind of harsh to really get it to stop. But I I couldn't find what that was. William Sutton, who earned himself the nicknames like Slick Willie, Willie the Actor, the Gentleman Bandit, the Babe Ruth of bank robbers wow. served time in the Eastern State Penitentiary for the machine gun robbery of the Corn Exchange Bank. <laughs> Corn Exchange Bank. Slick Willie was at the penitentiary for 11 years, starting in 1934. Mm, not so slick art now, are you? <laughs> During this time, he made five escape attempts. <laughs> He was in Life magazine, he got a book deal, and he wrote an autobiography called Where the Money Was. Slick Willie takes full credit as the mastermind behind the escape attempt at Eastern State Penitentiary. 
by the Dirty Dozen in 1945. But SmithsonianMag.com says the real mastermind was Clarence Kleindest, known as Kleine, who was a plasterer, stonemason, burglar, and forger who looked like Frank Sinatra. The men who were known as the Dirty Dozen chose cell number 68. They used spoons and flattened cans to slowly dig an opening in the wall measuring 31 inches. They dug 12 feet straight down into the ground below the cell and 100 feet out beyond the prison walls. Wow. Go big or go home. Wow. Go big to go home. That's a, that's a long way. How on earth did they hide their tunnel, do you say? How did they get rid of the dirt? Well, the men worked on the tunnel in two-man teams. Each team worked for 30 minutes at a time. They filled their pocket with the dirt and scattered it outside in the prison yard. They even braced the tunnel with scaffolding. That's how Andy Dufresne got rid of his tunnel in the Shawshank. It even had a light source and was ventilated. Wow. The Dirty Dozen even made a connection in their tunnel between two prison pipelines to deposit their waste. And how did they hide the tunnel? Well, Kleine was a plasterer, so he made a false panel to slide over it, and they put a metal wastebasket in front of it. The hole? Yeah, like their tunnel, like in in the cell block 68. They just put like a little plaster false cover over it. Hmm. I just wonder if their recreation time wasn't that great, how they did this. Well, they spent a lot of time in the cell. It is amazing to me. I don't know, man. If if you're locked in there, that's all you're thinking about. Some of them actually had like just a few years left on their sentences. And then they had more time. It took them months, but finally on the morning of April 3rd, they snuck into cell 68 instead of heading to breakfast and slithered into their tunnel and out of the prison. Many of them were caught right away, including Slick Willie, who only lasted like three minutes. (laughs) Kleine feared a bit better, but he was on the run only about three hours. About six of them were caught on the first day and got a small taste of freedom. But they were all caught within a few months. That seems like bad timing. Why would you leave in the morning? Because they wouldn't expect you to leave in the morning. I'd want the cover of darkness, but in like hours and hours before anyone even knows I'm gone. Maybe. But they were all caught within a few months of the escape anyway. And as punishment, they were thrown into the Klondikes, which were solitary confinement cells that the guards had secretly and illegally built below one of the cell blocks. They weren't even big enough to stand up or lie down in. Slick Willie may have failed at the Eastern State Penitentiary escape, but you know what they say. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. (laughs) He was transferred to Holmesburg Prison, which was known to be escape proof. He escaped almost right away and wasn't caught for six years. Wow. He did it. Kind of. It seems like it'd be so easy to get away in that era. You know, like there's no nothing digital and like nothing's no cameras and I feel like you just very easily blend back in with society. Well, much more so than now, anyway. You would think. You know what I kept thinking the whole time I was researching this? Like, 
what could these men have accomplished together like in a normal setting like if they were on like a construction crew or (laughs) you know just like something organized and I feel like they were like a great team, right? Like they should have given yeah, them. I mean, they could have started like a to do. like an engineering consulting firm, <laughs> something. something. But the whole escape attempt was very Shawshank and the Great Escape. Right. Well, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. That's probably. I mean, that's. I, I imagine that's all you're thinking about. Twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, is how to get the hell out of there. The Great Escape was released in 1963 and the Shawshank Redemption in 1994, so it is possible that they took some inspiration from the Dirty Dozen. Mm -hmm. Other notable inmates at the penitentiary included Victor Babe Androli, who was convicted of killing a Pennsylvania state trooper. He was supposed to serve a life sentence, but hid in a delivery truck, escaping in 1943. They caught up with him several weeks later and he was shot and killed. Morris the Rabbi Bulber, <laughs> who was convicted of being part of an arsenic murdering ring. Wow. He was the leader of the group at one point and known as a veteran witch doctor and compounder of charms. He served his life sentence and joined the penitentiary's Jewish congregation. Wait, does that mean that he outlived the life sentence? No, no, he died in prison. Like, he finished his sentence. He served it. Um, I felt like that was such, like, an interesting story, though. Like, I'm going to have to go into that, like, tonight, and I might do a podcast on that. Like, that seems so... Yeah, he had some unique names. murdering ring. Right, and he's a rabbi? Yeah, that was strange. In 1923, Lou Callahan and five others held up a group of unnamed guards... The other five were recaptured, but Callahan was never recaptured. Finally. I think he's the only actual successful escapee. Finally, someone got away. But the prison grew old and in need of repair. And after 142 years of housing about 75,000 inmates, the prison was closed in 1971. It is now known as one of the world's most haunted places, and it remains open for tours. It was featured on Ghost Adventures, and there's claims that Al Capone was visited by an apparition. People often claim that they hear whispers and screams and see shadowy figures along the walls. (laughs) And that wraps up our episode on the Eastern State Penitentiary. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and remember... Evil people are everywhere. (laughs) Bye. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Stay out of jail. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Copy, Murder, and Mystery. You can find us on the web at www.coffeemurderandmystery.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a YouTube channel. All references for today's podcast are available in our show notes. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us an Apple Podcast five-star rating, sharing our show with your friends, and leaving a review. This helps us by allowing more people to find our show. If you would like to support our show with a financial contribution, 
please consider joining our Patreon. Joining our Patreon at the $5 level will give you a bonus episode on the second week of the month, as well as a second bonus episode on the fourth week of the month. Or go to buymeacoffee.com for a one-time contribution. We appreciate all of our listeners. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. Thank you so much for listening. The information provided in this podcast is solely of our opinion and based upon research that we have conducted via the internet. If you feel that we have represented something inaccurately or unfairly, you can send us an email at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. Thanks for your support.